0: It's an honor to stand up here before you because you guys have the opportunity to hear from some of those gifted men and women of God that come to Lord Minster to speak to you and it's always an honor to stand in front of you. But what I'm going to ask of you today is that you use your faith to pull out what God has in me to minister to you because there's an active participation and exchange that is required when the word of God is delivered. And we'll talk about some of that stuff, but I just want to make sure that I follow what the spirit would have me to say today. That's the most important thing. When you're, for any of you that have ever ministered or even worked with a group of people, whether it's a Bible study or just getting together and minister the word, you know, there'll be things that God teaches you throughout the course of time. And whether you minister a lot or not, there will be revelations that come across your heart. But it's, the most important thing is you don't jump up on a stage and spit out everything that you know. You seek God what to do. I hear about people that plan sermons and things like that. There's different ways that people prepare for what they share. And that's awesome because everybody kind of has their method. But the most important thing Is that God is allowed into that situation to say, God, it's your people, it's your voice, what do you want to say? And the vessel that he chooses at that point, if that person understands of just becoming a conduit from the spirit to the natural realm, then they really just become a vessel that God speaks through. And that's why it's important to do our best to remove ourselves from that so that we can. And all of us function that way. I stand on the stage today ministering to you in a church setting, but you go to a job tomorrow. And you're a vessel or a conduit of the spirit that's going to minister to the people around you in one way or another. You're ministering to them. Is it good things or is it bad things? But you're ministering something. They think something about you. They see something about you. They have an opinion. They have a reaction to you based on how you live and what you do, no matter what you think. And I'm always, I'm, I'm continually astounded at what people do notice. You may think that no one really even knows where you are, what you're doing, and people aren't paying that much, that, that much attention, excuse me. But you'll be surprised to know who is watching and what they do know, and what opinion they have. And it becomes important that we, as believers, represent the man, the God that we serve. Because we are a message to a dying and lost generation. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. If you guys would bow your heads in prayer with me, let's get into the Word of God. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in this wonderful church with this blessed people. Thank you for their shining faces today. God, we just ask, that you be God, as you always are. So we opened the door and allowed you to come in. Jesus, you're welcome guest here. You're the honored guest. We open up the door for you. Spirit, we thank you for being present. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being our comforter, for being our help, for coming alongside to help us and being the help we need in a time of need. Father, I ask that you would think through my mind, that you would speak through my lips, that, Father, you would loose the tongue that the Spirit of God could speak through it, and God, place a guard over my mouth where any opinion would come in and contaminate what the word of God would say to the people today. Thank you for the opportunity. It is a tremendous honor every time I'm able to stand in front of a group of people and minister your word. It's a gift and a blessing and Liberty and I do not take that lightly. Thank you for this special group of people, what you will say to them, but God, what you are doing inside of them, inside of this church, for the day and age we live and the things that you want to accomplish. And we praise and thank you for it. We invite your spirit to have its way. So Father, by faith... We invite the gifts of the Spirit in. By faith, we preach the Word of God. By faith, we lay hands on the sick and they recover. By faith, we prophesy. By faith, Father, word of knowledge comes forth. We thank you in the name of Jesus. It's not about men and women, but it's about vessels connecting to the Spirit of God and understanding who we are and that you are who you say that you are. And we thank you for that, Father. You're a holy and righteous, majestic Savior, and we praise you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Let's get going. Sorry, I got my little journal and books and all that kind of stuff. All right. You know what? I'm going to start at a real good place. We're going to open up to the first page of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach the whole thing. But it's a good place to start. It is a good place to start. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 26. You guys, I just want to say something. This book, this book is, in all reality, there's not really natural human words, which thank God we have a book full of words of God because we need it to really articulate what's sitting in your lap right now. The thing that we have to understand is yes, it is white pages that might be gold tipped on the edges with a leather cover around it. Yours may be various colors. And yes, it was printed at some company somewhere. And so it's real easy to just put this book on a shelf with other books. But this is the sacred word of the living God. And he was good enough to deliver that through men into a written form that we would be able to crack open every day. We always say we want to know what God's thinking, what God wants from us. He's given us 66 books that tell us exactly what He wants, what He needs, what He requires, and who He is. And the thing about it is when you really get into the book, you realize that every answer you ever need for any situation in life is actually in these pages. Though it was scripted thousands of years ago, it will answer your problem that you had yesterday. It will be the answer that you need. This is a sacred book. This is the word of God it is your life plan your script for life so understand that and don't ever take that for granted I'm continually just kind of amazed at how direct it can speak into your life on a daily basis and what all it can do praise the Lord I love this book it's a uh, It's transformed my life, it's transformed my family. I was just thinking, I don't know why I was reflecting a lot this last week, because we're kind of coming up on a new transition in our life. And this week I was kind of just thinking back about just memories. You know, you think back to high school, other places you lived. You think back when you were a kid. You remember those kind of memories and those different things. And I was just thinking about how blessed that Liberty and I have been to grow up in the families we've grown up in, to have the Word sewed in us from the very beginning. And you know, it's had such a crucial effect on my capacity to live life, on the way that I do things. Because there's many people that somewhere that they may not even have the opportunity to find God till somewhere midway in their life. And then they're trying to change everything at that point to get into what, you know, what I think God wants to do with it. It's like they're taking, because to that point, 40, 50, 60, whatever years, what years of age you got saved, at that point, then you're going back and saying, well, I've already done all this all these years. I've made all these decisions on my own. I've made this process of development of going through life all on my own, what I thought was best, trying to do what I could. And then the Word of God comes in and begins to change things. And what's awesome about God is He can take you from whatever point you are and get you to where you need to be. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have to send you back, start you over, and bring you back. He'll take you right from where you are. He is all. He's the best GPS there is. He'll take you directly from wherever you are to get you to the destination He wants you to be. And I heard Brother Copeland say something that was... That has had a profound impact on my life, but it's so awesomely simple, which is what I love about the Copeland. Sometimes they can break things down and make something that's really profound, really simple. And this is not going to stun you at all by any means, but it had a profound impact on my life. He says, if you obey God today and the next day and the next day and the next day and the day after that, you're going to end up where you belong. So we're always going, oh God, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? Oh God, we just, we just want to serve you. We just want to be in your plan and your purpose. The question we have to ask is God, what do we do today? Just work on today. And then the next day get them to say, okay, God, what do I do today? And step by step in this incremental process, at the end of your life, you're going to try and go, we hit the mark. We made it where God wanted us to go. We arrived at the destination. Because God's that good. He oversees. He oversees all of it. And there's so many confounding factors about life that no matter how much you plan are not all going to work out the way you think they are. You can't make them work no matter how smart you are. No matter how well you prepare, there are always anomalies in this secular system that will essentially attempt to shipwreck you because they would come out of nowhere, be unexpected, and you didn't plan for it. And we've seen so many people go under because of that. But because of this book, because of the word of God and what it represents and what it can be in your life, you never have to go under. I'm not telling you you won't have trouble. Anyone that stands up and tells you when you serve God, it's going to be easy is lying to your face. They are. They are. In many ways, it's a very challenging journey, but it's a very simple one. There's a straight and true path, and the answer is Jesus. Yes. And that's all that you need. It's all that you need, but you've got to keep talking to him. You've got to keep talking to him. Yes. You know, as I've been reflecting over kind of life and just saying, God, it's been awesome where you've taken us and how you've gotten. I just, you know, you think back and you think about the goofy decisions you make and the, just all the situations through life, how God gets you from one place to another where you've made a mistake, but God fixed it and corrected and got you there. And you think back and go, God, your grace is so fantastic and so big. Well, when you just think about that, you you know, it's not really, I can't take any credit for any process thus far. When I look back, I always think, I thank God for the word that was instilled for my family. Well, all that credibility goes to good raising, taking care of your kids, teaching them the word of the Lord. So that as they walk and get older, they won't depart from it. It will be there that in that time of need, whether they're out, the prodigal child lost out somewhere. And they hit their face. All of a sudden, there's something from inside that was planted in them from sitting in church as a kid that goes, I need to go to Jesus. And amazing, they find their way back. So it's never take for granted bringing your children to church. Don't take those kind of things for granted. Teaching them, praying with them at night, reading Bible stories to them, planting those things inside of them. No matter what's going on in their life, God has a way to get to them and get them back wherever they are in the world. And he'll do it. He'll absolutely do it. We've just seen absolutely awesome Miracles in in that regard. But anyway, I can't, you know, you just, you thank God because he's big enough to get you through all the different obstacles. And it really comes down to a couple simple things. You just keep talking to him. He can get you where you need to go. It's not about knowing and understanding, having all the capacity of knowledge in your head. It's in your heart saying that on a daily basis, Father God, I need you. Father God, show me what to do with my life. When you feel like you mess up, it's so it's such a bad habit for Christians that when they do something, whether they whatever it may be, if it's a direct sin or they just disobey God or they didn't do something they felt they were supposed to do, the first thing that we do is we turn off the God switch because it's like we allow the shame to come over us that says, you know, it's like well I messed up, and so we just shut off that whole God channel. It's like we corner out of our life and we go hide in some kind of corner until we feel better about ourselves, until we get over it a few days later or a few months or years whatever it may be and we shut god out and if you would just keep the lines of communication open god will take care of all the rest you have to keep the lines of communication open with him he can handle getting out whatever needs to be changed where he needs to get you to go what he needs to tell you to do he can do all that stuff just don't stop talking to him don't stop allowing the word of god to come inside and change your mind none of us is above the need for the renewal of our mind on a daily basis because you turn away from the word so quickly, the troubles of the world will cloud your mind. They'll get you back into a natural system of thinking about paying bills and mortgages and how are we going to do this and how are we going to do that. And all of a sudden, we're turning back to ourselves as source very quickly. Because if we say we serve God in that statement, when what we're actually professing, confessing from our lips in that moment is saying, God, you are my sovereign Lord, I obey you, I follow you. When we make that confession, that's what we're saying. And yet, what we do is to say, God, I love you. And then we go over here and do things our own way. And then we get into trouble. We wonder why. We're not allowing the Lord to be a part of all of it. To, to thread us through all these difficult circumstances. To get us from, one, from point A to point B. To direct all those steps. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's talk about a little bit about who we are. I love this scripture, and I've loved it more and more over just the last few years. Then God said, and I'm reading out the New American Standard. um, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So as we well know, and I'm only using this for reference because... We need to use the word of God as the, the mirror that we look in. We see this reference point of, yes, we know we were made in the image of God. From the very beginning, from the first days, hours of man on earth, God created a spirit being that was just like him. That's you and me. That's who we are. Now, the curse, a lot of that fell apart. And we have been spending generations of life trying to rediscover that which was lost in the garden but was restored with Jesus. Jesus. See, everything that Genesis says about who we were came back when Jesus went to that cross. It came back to us. But we have been rebuilding our capacity in our head to work through what we feel and touch to get our way to the Spirit. Because though we like to think so, we are still very carnal beings in the way that we think about life. That's why our mind needs so much renewal. It's such a crucial thing that your mind is renewed to the Spirit of God, that you are taught the Word, that you read the Word, that you study the Word for yourself, that you all revelation built inside of you. Because it has to absolutely change you. We have, our minds have to be revolutionized by the Spirit of God through His Word, through His voice. Because if not, then we're just going to end up with people that make some kind of confessions, don't really mean things. So we just say what we think we're supposed to say, and then we live life our own way. We're talking about being God people on earth, hitting the mark, doing what we're supposed to do, being people called in this generation to accomplish what the will of the Lord would have, in one of these last days, generations. It's a tremendous honor. It's something that I always come back to because I think God didn't accidentally place any of us in 2012. And we may be the very people that see Jesus split the sky. But in that process, there's a whole lot that has to happen between now and then for that to happen. For who we are and who we are to be and what God's called us to be. But it wasn't an accident that you live here now. Where you live, where God put you, was also not an accident. And that's what you have to understand. As you read this Bible, and we're always so wowed by these examples of faith. Thank God for them. And these are awesome stories. But what happened is a bunch of people just decided across a long timeline, I'm going to obey God. So we have a book full of accounts that put all those together. But this is a long history of a few people in random places going, I don't care what they say. I'm going to listen to God. And then they obeyed. And their story got written down. And God used that so we could have examples. But as the Bible continued, we'd be in that book. If the Bible just kept going out and just continued on generations forward and, the chron- and still continue to be chronicled, we'd be the same people telling those same stories if we follow God. People moved on by the Spirit of God that obeyed, that followed. I want you to understand that they were normal people that did extraordinary things because of their obedience. And they stood up against their generation against their society against many different things and some of them were deep down somewhere in some dark hole that god had to pull out to get to them and they were at some last resort and god is really good at reaching down in the holes pulling pulling people out and making champions out of them he is really good at it in fact i think he takes a little pride in doing it because some of the coolest stories you're like where they come from and where they go is phenomenal and uh it's a trial of faith because really instead of it saying oh man look at this man it should really say look where he came from and what he did or look where she came from and what she did it's like man I can do it if they can do it and that's the way it's supposed to encourage you. that's what the word says and you guys are well taught you're such a wonderfully well taught group of people that a lot of this we can kind of just slice through because you have such a foundation that you can understand what I'm saying we don't have to go back through all these little steps to, re- to understand one another because God's doing it hallelujah so we on the image of God Restored completely by Jesus to the fullness of manifestation of all that he has to offer. I want to read another couple of scriptures just because I need to get out kind of what I'm feeling. Let's go to Mark 11. Man, I, uh, I've been having a little bit, praise God, I've been having a little bit of a personal revolution in the last few weeks. And I praise God for it. So I've been going back. To some of the, I've been going back to like the archives of some of this good stuff, just looking and going back through some of our faith heroes and even some of our present generation that have stepped over with the Lord and digging through some of their stuff and it just <laughs> it's revolutionizing me because though I've walked with God a number of years and feel that I am growing in God on a consistent basis because of His goodness, I still can go back to these old stories and these old principles and it just it's like i've seen it for the first time i don't know how to explain it it's like looking at faith analyzing faith looking at the scriptures that we know it's like god's unveiling them again That there's like we talk about how we can move from a level of glory to glory that we move from those levels the more you look in the word and reflect back and dig in it the more it creates it is the only book in the world that regenerates itself as you read it it's like it grows in more levels because God opened your eyes to see. It is like it's a growing book as you read it. And the more you dig, the more you dig in it, you can feel yourself inside getting bigger. That's the only way I know i to explain it. It's like someone's blowing you up on the inside because he's enlarging your faith. One of the things I want to talk to you guys about today is understanding. We know, we hear all the time, we're our spirit, we have a mind, live in a body. And because some of these cliches are so rehearsed, we know it up here, and sometimes we forget it in here. Because understanding what that means is to say, I'm a spirit being first. If we really understood that we're primarily spirit beings, then the the part of us that we'd give most attention to would be our spirit. I know I heard Brother Hagin say, it's crazy to think that when you come to some obstacle in life, and you wonder why you can't get over it. You've been feeding your body three good square meals a day, maybe more for some of us, depending on what it is. You know, you work out your body, you feed your body every day, and then we'll go and give our spirit some little appetizer about an hour and a half a week and wonder why, when it comes, that we need a strong man of faith inside of us to stand up why we can't get over barriers. Because we've just, because the thing is malnourished. We've got a spirit. It's wimpy. It's vitamin deficient. It's malnourished. It doesn't have any strength. It's anemic. And we wonder why we can't get over these hurdles, because we're not planting anything in it. We're not pouring into that spirit and building it up. Right. Anybody know who the Incredible Hulk is? He's like a Marvel supercom, uh, Marvel hero, superhero, from comic books. But well, anyways, it doesn't really matter. He's this big green monster. I mean, that, that's all that he really is. It's this guy, that's a scientist, and he gets zapped with these gamma rays, and then when he gets angry, he turns into this giant colossus that runs around and just destroys everything. Not like destroy, but I mean, he's just really big. But he's like, I guess he's supposed to be a good guy. I never forgot how that worked. He's like supposed to be a good guy, but everywhere he goes, everything like falls over and blows up. And so, anyway, my point of that is when you close your eyes, when you, when you analyze and look at yourself as a spirit being, you need to see that spirit. Working out, exercising, growing from what you're doing in the Word. When you're reading the Word, it's like going to the gym. When you come to church, it's like going out and taking a five-mile run. It's working out that spirit. It's not any different from the way that you have to think about it. It's not any different because we're building a spirit man. A spirit man grows by doing the things we know in our natural body. Because the natural realm in many ways, is a parallel to the spiritual realm. They have a lot of parallels between one another. And so, as we do what we know to do, there's no new magic principles about how to grow in God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. So you hear the Word. You read the Word. You do the Word. You work out and exercise your spirit. And that spirit grows. So that when the time comes, that you've got to pull on the resources of that spirit, there's not an empty bank account you got something filled up that you can draw out of because it's ludicrous you would not come to me or i mean anyone you wouldn't in your natural mind just living life wouldn't wouldn't say you've got this big bill coming up and you just or whatever you know you have the certain bills you have to pay you have stuff you got to take care of your family you know the month's bills that are coming up you wouldn't yourself go stop working just quit just say well you know It'll work out, it's okay. Because you know in your natural mind that you need to go to work, you need paychecks, you gotta put those paychecks in the bank account. You wouldn't take your paychecks at home, some of you guys may do direct deposit now, but before we do all the direct deposit stuff, you wouldn't take your paychecks, just lay them on the counter and expect when bill time came around and automatically draft it out of an empty account and go, well, what happened? I had the money. You wouldn't do that. You have to take the check, and of course I know it's electronic world is changing, but we still a lot of times take our check and put it in our bank account. So that when it comes time to take money out of it, to draw out or to pay the bills or whatever, there's resources there. That's right. But that's what we're doing in our spirit. We're not depositing things in there and then expecting to withdraw something. It's really kind of crazy when you break it down, but that's how we're doing. We make this stuff harder than it is sometimes. God's handled the hard part. Jesus did 99.99% of all the work you needed and then just said, just accept and believe me. Yeah, right. That's the part he requires of us. But somehow we've made that a big deal to get over that hump of just saying, I accept and believe. But see, in saying that we accept and believe, you've got to take all of it. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So the responsibility becomes on us to say, if I say this is my God, my Lord that I serve, I need to know what he wants me to do. Right. But he's telling me. He's telling me right here. It's not, it's not so hard. He's telling me right here in the book. Praise the Lord. Mark 11, that's where we were. I'm sorry. You know, anybody uh, ever heard Brother Kenneth Hagen? I'm sure you heard of him. Anybody heard his... I'm not taking take anything for granted. Because um, I know now he's been passed away a few years. And a lot of his stuff, though, it's still floating around. I mean, it won't be long before there'll be kids will be like, well, who's Kenneth Hagan?" But I know it's a very household name in the sense of a word of faith circle. But that gentleman... If I've heard one preacher say it, I've heard half a dozen preachers say it, you'll get up and they'll refer to some story of Brother Hagin, but usually what they'll talk about is being in a meeting, and they'll say, wonder what he's going to preach tonight. And they'll hear him say it, and then he would always crack that book to Mark 11. And he would open up that book because there were a couple of scriptures in there that Brother Hagin really liked. Well, there's a reason Brother Hagan really liked those scriptures. So he cracked that book open, and people would go, oh, my God, Mark 11. They're just like, oh. And the thing is, is I believe that if people would have gotten it, the man could have moved on. <laughs> So, you know, for him, it must have been frustrating his whole life. He's like, well, we're still working on this one. <laughs> you know, he was the kind of guy that just says, I'm going to do what I'm, God's told me to do and push through all that kind of stuff. But, you know, going back and just even listening to some of his old stuff, I just, that, that man was awesome, but he would crack open that book to Mark 11. But when you actually listen to him talk about it, it makes so much sense because so many preachers that are well-respected that came either out of that ministry, had influence because of that ministry, even when they were for back to the meetings, I was like, Mark 11, I'm like, Whew, Mark 11, okay. And they just buckle down. It's was like, all right, we're going back through Mark 11. But see, here's the thing that, that God told Brother Hagen when he was on his deathbed. He had this experience with God. He was on his deathbed. He was in bed for, he was, for about 17 months he was bedridden. Couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And, of course, this was like the 30s or something. So, you know, you don't have an iPad or an iPhone or TV. Or, you know, you don't have anything to even entertain you during the time. So he's just like bedridden, you know, in this hospital-type setting. And he has this experience where he feels his soul being drawn down to hell that he's dying and, and goes down to hell. And that's a really cool testimony. And you guys, I mean, you can get that book. And, of course, now you can probably get all that on the Internet. But it's a really cool story and go through it. But I don't want to go through the details of the whole story. But in that experience where he felt he was slipping down to hell. And it was several times. I think it was like three times or something he went down. That he felt the Spirit of God pulling back up. And, of course, at that point where he became converted and he felt the call. But when he was called, does anybody know what God said to him? Did anybody know the words that God said to him? He said, go teach my people faith. That's what God told him to do. We make things really hard. And he was one of the most influential figures of our generation in a spiritual sense. His command from God was, go teach my people faith. Well, that's what he did. That's what he did. So he, that's why he'd crack open these scriptures. And when you'd hear him talk about these, he had a firsthand revelation the way that Paul had a revelation about the epistles he wrote. God showed him something in those scriptures, and it took him his whole life. And he may have not even finished. I don't know. It took his whole life to preach out what he saw out of three scriptures it's a beautiful thing it's an awesome thing but when he would talk about these scriptures he would say these are sacred words of faith he says this is where faith was birthed these scriptures he talked about them like they were these absolutely sacred holy writings and all of a sudden the way that he lived his life started to make more sense let's look at these scriptures mark 11 22 And Jesus answered saying to them, Have faith in God. That statement alone holds monumental meaning in it. Because it stands in the face of all any doubt that anyone had. That's what he said. His answers weren't, You've got to do this, or you've got to do that, or go here, or go that, or this is the magic answer, or, this is the magic prayer. He said, Have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. Verse 23, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you receive them and they'll be granted to you. Hallelujah. These were foundational scriptures that define what faith is. Another one, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Can anybody quote Hebrews 11.1 1 for me? Now faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So God was good enough to give us a definition. Can you guys put up uh, Hebrews 11.1? If you don't mind so we can see it. Um, God was good enough to give, good enough to give us a definition of what faith is. Hallelujah. Sorry, I'm trying to get to it here. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You know, most people can manage to measure up some hope in their life. But the problem with hope is that hope by itself doesn't accomplish anything. Hope is the idea that. One day something may happen. Whereas faith says, I have it now. And those things work a couple in hand. That's just why I love what Libby Stubman says, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So there's things that we're believing God for. And if it doesn't work out exactly the way that we think it does, or it takes longer than we think it should, we kind of shut down and close off that compartment of our life if it didn't go the way we thought it should. And then we close off our capacity, not only to receive what we're believing for, but to receive from God in the future for other things that we believe for. Because we let it die inside. We give up on it. We quit on it because we, we wrap all these natural parameters around how we think suppo- it's supposed to function. And what I'm saying to you guys is don't let yourself do that. Let the word be the voice that teaches you how to live the faith so that you don't go, I confess in the right scripture. I'm saying the right thing. Now why isn't it here? Why isn't it done? Why isn't it happening? And so then we get frustrated because it doesn't work in how we thought it should. But what we did is we went and wrapped our mind around how we thought it should happen, when it should manifest, what it should be. The greatest gift that we can have is the opportunity to live the spiritual life, do things God's way. It's a tremendous gift. There are people that go out and they are successful in business and whatever venture, entrepreneurial, and say they do, they they just have, everything falls in place and they have this great idea and it takes off and they become billionaire, whatever. The thing you have to realize about that is they're taking spiritual principles and actually working them in a natural realm. They're taking physical laws that God's established and went to work on them. And to some degree, that produced some success. Well, that's great. But it's a natural success. And every single one of those things is going to burn up. Those things will burn up at the end. They're not going to heaven or hell with those people. They're staying right where they are. And the fulfillment of all that they feel and all they gotten was done right then and there. But we have an opportunity through the Spirit to attain the same prosperity, the same health, these, this absolutely divine life, but to do it God's way, in a way that both flows from here into our eternity, and in the process, heals lives, takes people with us, transforms who you are. Has anybody in here been transformed by the Word of God? Has it absolutely picked up your brain, flipped over, washed it out, and changed it? Absolutely. So that we think and talk and act like an entirely new creature. So the person that is not of the spiritual man goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And you have to understand that because there is certainly a degree of development we have in communicating our faith. But don't be ashamed about who you are. Don't be scared to profess, to proclaim, to stand up for what you believe in. Don't be afraid to do that whether they understand or not. And then ask God for the wisdom of how to both for them to see and for you to articulate how to reach them where they are. Because it's really sometimes like the language you're speaking is a different language from theirs. It's as if one person is speaking English, one person is speaking Spanish or French. So they're not, it's not that they don't want to understand, it's that they don't understand. I mean, you can start speaking French to me, I might pick up a few words, but I'm, most of it's going to be lost in our conversation. I'm not gonna know what, the, what you're really trying to articulate, whether I can identify one word here or one word there. And sometimes in our communication, we're like that with people and you, you just have to watch because you'll just see they're kind of like, you know, I just am not getting it because we have our terms that we use. We have our own kind of language that we talk, especially when we're in a church setting. Um, the thing about it is the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the secular mind. So there has to be a renewal mind that takes place, and it happened in all of us. At so whatever process we came into the faith, there was a renewal that took place in all that. It's transformed our mind. But you have to understand where other people are, and don't get frustrated when people don't understand you. Don't shut down what you believe. Keep pressing... Keep speaking, keep confessing, be who you are with God, but pray for the wisdom to communicate so that you can speak their language and allow God to get into that situation. Because we are, we are the means in which God is communicating His faith and His life in the world. It's us that He's using. There's a tremendous responsibility in that because we only have X number of years, which in a time of, an, a time of eternity or infinity is like a snap. Our whole life is a snap when it comes down to the physical realm that we live in. So all destiny is defined, all of life and who we are that heaven will speak of for what we did, what we accomplished, all that happened in a year, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years of life only. And that's the mark you make, That is who you are for all eternity. So in that perspective, life has to be lived on purpose with a purpose. So the things that you're doing, it doesn't matter where it is or what it is. If God told you to do it, do it. But if God didn't tell you to do it, stop doing it. He's good enough to get you to the right place, but stop doing what you know is wrong. If you know something's wrong, quit. And then take that step and then say, okay, what's right? And let God bring the right thing there. It's that simple. It is that simple. If you know that you're doing something that is not of the Lord or you know it was a misstep, just stop. God will take care of the pieces in between and get you to the right place. But all that happens by faith. Yes, we accept. Yes, we confess. Yes, we believe. But faith is the connection to the spirit realm that makes those things happen, which is the active part we play in in this trial of life. It requires faith to connect to the spiritual principles to the spiritual promises that are in the spiritual realm that we can't tangibly touch. Can you feel me shaking your hand? Yes, you can, because he lives in a body. He lives in a body that is contacting my body in this physical realm. We somehow believe a lot of times that the spiritual world is some abstract, fluid, gooey, something floating like I don't even know. We just have this image. It's like this just some gooey kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's real, but we don't understand it and we don't know how to touch it. And it's just like everything's floating around in some kind of glory goo. That's what I described. And that's kind of the way that we see it. And it's not. God lives in a very physical realm to Him. To Him, his, he, when He does touch virtually, He does touch them. He does reach out and touch them. It is, and in that sense, it is like what we think of as like some kind of Star Trek alternate dimension. That's, the only way I can describe it is it is another place that is physical when you're there. Physical in the sense of. It's tangible in touch. So faith is a force that's active. Faith is a force that's active and real. It's just that it's in the spirit where you don't see it. You can't see it. You have to see it with the eyes of your spirit. You have to see it with spiritual eyes. What's going to happen to this book when I let go of it? Are you sure? What if the book goes up? What if, and when I let go of this book, it goes towards the ceiling? Would that weird anybody out? Would that be weird? Would that be like some magic trick I just performed? Why? Why is it gonna to fall to the ground? I'll have to pray about that one a little bit. We we'll have to go back to the prayer room we'll see what we can do with it. That would be pretty cool though. It would totally defeat my point though. That's the problem. <laughs> so why is this? Why is this book gonna go down because of up? Gravity! Wow! Gravity! Well, that's interesting. Did God create the world? He sure did. So did God create gravity? Yes, Yes, he did. He established physical principles in the world that work. And when you work those principles, something happens. So, the book's going to drop, right? From what I remember, I was trying to remember this before. From what I remember from physics class, and it's been a few years since physics class. If I can remember, and somebody correct me if they know... I think the number is that the force of gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared. Can anybody, is that right? It's been a little while. So at 9.8 meters per second squared, when I drop this book, what's going to happen? Wow, we just proved a principle there. Anybody see gravity grab the book and yank it to the ground? You, you mean you didn't see some like hand of smoke reach up and go wham and yank this thing to the ground. You didn't see that? But you knew it was going to fall. But you couldn't see it fall. When you came in, did you think about when you sat down, did you even think about the fact that that chair might not hold you up? No, of course you did. You've worked it every day. Every day it's happened. And it's so many times it's happened, you've never even, you don't even question we you don't even think about it anymore. But I'm telling you is that God lives in a physical and a spiritual realm that we connect with our spirit. And in his realm, faith is more real than gravity. To you, faith has to be more real than gravity. That when the chips are down, you're down and out, everything seems to be falling apart, you've got a word from God. But because you know that word is more sure than any natural thing, you know your God will deliver, do what he's supposed to do. That that the promise will manifest. We get there and we drop the ball. How it happens is we get to that point and then we stop believing in the force of gravity. We stop believing this is going to happen because we can't see it. But you do things every day that you can't see. I've been trained as a physician for the last four years. The more I study, the more I'm amazed about the human body. But What's also more amazing is watching so many of these very intelligent, secular-minded people walk through school. They go through school. They get trained. They, go to, they may go to prestigious places to be trained as doctors and all that wonderful things. But we take these pills. I think we call them medicine. And we'll take these pills and we'll pop them in our body. And they go and do these magical things inside the body. Well, it might be a blue pill, it might be a big pill, it might be a small pill, it might be pink, it might be purple, it might be green, it might be an inhaler. But you know, the doctor says, do this, you do it. That doctor studied what that drug did when it went into the body. But most doctors didn't go do the research to watch that happen on a cellular level. They took a book of a drawing of a diagram. I'm just telling you guys how this stuff works. I studied diagrams that were drawn up of what a cell looks like and what maybe, let's just take two nerves. When nerves come together, there's a gap in between every nerve that communicates. It's called a synaptic cleft. And when drugs that work on the nerves come, they transmit through a nerve and then they will jump this cleft and move to the next nerve and move on. So we'll have diagrams of these two nerves, but they're cartoons is what they are of drawing and we'll have these little dots that are floating down and we'll see these places where these little gated channels open up at the end of the nerve when they're stimulated by a conduction of electricity down the nerve these channels open up and these neurotransmitters made by our body will move across the cleft float across this little river space connect to the other nerve pass that message along and send it down and it does it so fast that i don't even process the thought of thinking I'd like to move my fingers now. I didn't think that thought but I did think that thought I did conduct that transmission. But it's so fast that you don't even process the thing. So we have all these little drawings we draw, and we've studied those things. I've never physically watched in some kind of laboratory setting, one cell eat another, or I haven't watched a drug break down on some kind of microscopic level and go do its mechanism action it's supposed to do. But I believe it works. Why do I believe it works? Because someone put the research in and did it. But I didn't see them do that. I'm taking their word out of a big fat textbook somewhere taking their word for it, never questioning. I've watched all these people never question where the research come from. How can we believe that? I've never seen any medical student go, but why should I believe that? Because the professor stood up in there and told you, showed you a picture, told you where the research was. They probably never went and looked that research up. They certainly weren't there when it was done, but they believed it. And they believed it so much that they spend the rest of their life giving a drug that does what they think it does because of what they've studied. And then they see the benefits of it happen and they go, well, it must have worked. This is what it does. This is what it did. It helped them here. It helped them there. And they take blood tests and say, okay, well, here's the drug level in the body. It's like, here's the improvement of their symptoms. Here's what the blood says, how it's interacted. And they take all that and believe it and put it into practice the rest of their life. But they never physically did the part of actually, they've never actually seen it happen. So you take one little pill that doesn't look all that different from another little pill. But it's like, oh, if you take that pill, that might kill you. But if you take this pill, that's going to fix you. It's like, when you really think about it, it's like, okay there's a lot of faith involved in medicine there really is but those people will argue till the sun is down against there being a god sometimes i'm not saying everybody there's a lot of wonderful christian positions praise god for it i'm one of them thank the lord but you have these interactions with people and man they're like why because how you can't see there's nothing to see there's nothing that you can test there's not a physical way that you can directly reach out and touch God. So, because it's not something that can be with an experiment verified by data, something they can touch as tangible, it's like, oh, we don't believe it. That's not scientific. And yet, they're doing, they're practicing practices that on a lower level, on a lower level, our faith. It's around us all the time. So, there's just several examples of how in a daily life that we interact, that people interact spiritual principles, the ideas that are a reflection, natural physical principles that are are a reflection of spiritual things on a daily basis, and yet they deny God. So my point is, as you as a believer, knowing what you know, have no excuse to not trust God completely. We don't really have any time to try to, to spend the rest of our life trying to figure out how to get rid of doubt. You guys say, God, help me not doubt. I believe you. I have faith in you. And you keep confessing it. You know, I used to think, and God's going kind to of help me understand this. I used to think, well, just because someone says something doesn't make it right because they can say it and not believe it. That's true. But the neat thing about it is because of the way that God has set this thing up, confession can teach your heart how to believe. I used to just think, well, you don't talk until you actually believe something because what difference does it make? I'm like, they're not in faith. Faith I mean, confession has a way of teaching you how to believe what you're saying. My dad makes a great statement. And it's a little tricky how he says it. So let me see if I can get it right. He says, if your mouth will teach your heart faith when you don't need it, your heart will teach your mouth faith when you do need it. So the point is, is you're inputting, you're depositing the resources. So that when the time comes, they need to be drawn out They're there. So that when the mind and the brain go, this has been such an anomaly in my plan for life. It's so off from where I thought it was that the brain goes, I don't know what to do and it shuts down. The heart knows exactly how to respond. So when your mouth goes. In the name of Jesus. And you don't know where it came from. That's because you put it in there. It's the most powerful force on the earth. It's the most powerful force on the earth. You're connected to something. That is bigger. Bigger, 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 bigger than anything that you can imagine. But we have to do our part in believing. We have to believe it's there. More than gravity. Gravity that we take totally for granted because it's going to happen. No, faith is that way. Faith is more real than that. So there is a place where faith operates. And it is the connecting line that takes stuff that is out of the spiritual, that realm, and pulls it into the natural realm. And it does that through your words. God framed the world with words. He spoke man's life in him with words. He built the world with words. Light existed because he said it. The world grew because he said it. Man was birthed because he said it. That is his method of action, his words. And the more more that you understand that, the more you realize how much power comes from this muscle right here. This one. It's power. An interesting thing about it is it's a physical thing. It moves. It's got nerves that connect to the muscles and make it move around and swallow your food and speak and all those things. But it is a spiritual tool. It is a tool of destruction, or it is a tool of life. So now, we talked about, we've talked about how... We've talked about where the idea came from. we talked about what faith is, how it connects between the two. Now we've talked about a physical way that God has brought that in the earth to enact. As we've heard Pastor Jonathan even talk about, and other ministers I've heard say the same thing, is we've, the man is a speaking spirit. then when God... Breathe into him the breath of life of man, is a speaking spirit, that that's what the Greek reflects there. God puts such a crux on words, because you always think, well, my words don't really mean anything. God's been working on me about that. Because you just, when you stop and think, because in our natural minds, we say, well, you know what, you, know, I, you make offhanded comments, this, that, or the other. We say things we don't think about, and we don't think that that's a big deal. But when you stop and look, and you go back to the sources of where words came from, You realize this is what God uses to do what He does. He must put a little bit of importance on words. Because the Word of God, when we think of the Word of God, we think of a book. But it's called that because the words became a book. They were words, they became a book. So the Word of God is words that became something we hold, that someone spoke. So that is a crucial element to where your life is going and what it's going to be. Your destiny, your prosperity, your health is defined by your capacity to believe and speak into what you're saying. So I'm not talking about some frou-frou of like, well, I make all the magic right confessions. I'm talking about being a man and woman of God that says when I point my tongue and use my authority birthed in me by Jesus that he put in the garden that was lost and came back because of the son's sacrifice, that when I speak what he says to speak, What happened for him happens for me. And then saying, I believe that. And I say it. And when I don't believe it the first time, I say it until I do believe it. And you continue on before you know it. Faith is gravity and you're not thinking about it anymore. It becomes, you're using it. You're saying, this is a force I use. When I interact with life and something stands up and it says, no, this isn't going to happen. I said, God said it does. In the name of Jesus, bow your knee. Bow down. There's nothing wrong in the world with using your natural senses. God gave them to you. In fact, they are intricately complex, and only God, like our God, could have made them work. Right. Sight and vision, that's the same thing. Vision and hearing <laughs> Vision and hearing are immaculately complex. In all of our years of research, we're still working on exactly how, when the audible Sound waves come through our ear canals. I'm not gonna try to be too medical, but you know, you, you, you talk about what you know, and this is one of the things that I know. This is what I've been doing. So it, the principles work for me, and hopefully they'll you know, be something that reaches you. So sound waves come down your auditory canal through your ear, and this whole thing's designed to cup and catch sound waves, to pull in the maximum amount. It's why when you're having a conversation with somebody, you can point your nerves and focus on someone's conversation. You're in a loud restaurant, and it's just like, woo, I can't hear what you're saying. What do you do, you lean in? And you kind of focus, and all of a sudden their voice comes more clear. You're using the muscles in your ear to direct that nerve to pull in that specific auditory signal and kind of cloud out the others. Because when you think about it, you're like, yeah, they got a little clearer, everything else got a little quieter. There's a little bitty, and I've seen this one because I've actually done it. This is one of the things I've seen I have multiple times gone inside ears on people that have been wonderful enough to donate their bodies to science and seen these little muscles and bones. They are there, and they are, you need almost a microscope to see them, they're that small to see them well and actually understand the structures. But they point and they can direct, you No know ear, direct those auditory signals as you wanna hear them. So, so the sound waves come down the ear canal and they go through and they hit your eardrum and the sound waves produce a physical force, again, unseen. It's a physical force that presses against that eardrum and moves it. But you can't see it, you can't touch it. But anybody's been at a concert and been close to the speaker and they're pumping out all those amps, of power and you can almost like you almost like feel it you know and you walk out and you just and you walk out and you're like that was great what'd you say what'd you say you know for the two hours after you don't have a clue what's going on you been a little bit overpowered by the power of sound waves but that physical motion again something else you can't see working in the natural realm anyway so pushes against the eardrum moves little bones in there those bones conduct themselves and press against what we call a cochlea it's another little structure that has some fluid in it and inside that cochlea structure where there's this fluid that moves around because it, it's almost like, it's like an engine moving. The pistons, the different parts move, it's the same thing. So when that sound comes in, presses the eardrum, moves those little bones, those bones go to moving. They press against the cochlea and they push that fluid through. As that fluid moves, it stimulates little bitty hairs, little bitty hair cells down inside the ear. And at that point, that stimulation of those hair cells transmits a signal to the brain that we hear and decide is an auditory sound that we can describe. And that process where it actually goes from the stimulated hair, transmits through the vestibular cochlear nerve and gets up into the brain is something that they're still working on fully understanding. Like how does it actually process the sound to make it into something that we say, well, that's worth, this is what you're saying. This is a beautiful music. This is harmony. This is disharmony. You know, this is too loud, that hurts. Or so this is, that's a soft peaceful sound that makes me feel good. And so even in that process that we're still going to spend the rest of our life trying to explain the things that God created in a moment with his words. It's a big God. And that big God can take care of our little problems. But that big God loves you enough that he will take care of those little problems. And it gets you to where you need to go. Oh, we need something in life that is sure. Jesus is sure. You know, that's why this thing works. Because no matter what happens in the world, because there's always exceptions to everything. There's always a, well, this always works, but, this always works, but. There's always exceptions. And no single person can do everything right all the time. We haven't had a perfect person outside of Jesus yet. And we need to know, because men fail us, men and women fail us, we fail ourselves, we fail others, that there is something that is absolutely sure that is always true always steadfast that there was always a model for something you can go back to that is not going to break through have a back route. have some kind of point of entry that, that cracks and makes it all fall apart stable and sure impenetrable absolute that was God he knew that we needed that our mind needs that our heart doesn't always need that so much but our brain needs it a lot our brain has to fall back on that but God is always true and the wonderful thing about that is you don't have to say, okay, I thought it was going to go this way. It didn't go this way. I thought this was going to happen. This didn't happen. And then go start trying to figure out how it works because our brains wants to say, well, how do I fix it? 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 How do I make this right? You never have to question God was good enough to give you something that every time you go to it, you can know it's absolutely sure. You don't have to do the background research to say, where did this come from? How do we know? You can just take it. This is sure. And you don't have to go any further. You go grab it off the coffee table. It's right there. We needed that. We needed that. Because otherwise we would have died out of, we would all die early out of stress and anxiety. Because we'd be trying to make it all work. The Word will do the work for you. But it has to be spoken. It has to be lived. It has to be active. So that part does throw the responsibility back on us. That part does put the responsibility on us that we do have to say something that we do have to do something we do have to talk and speak and act hallelujah I'll read some to you guys this just really ministered to me and it's just a little paragraph I actually took this out of a a magazine I was reading and uh, it's very simple but uh, I like it this is a just a paragraph someone was writing in an article it's the anointed one in you who's going to do the work it's the spirit of god who will bring those impossible things to pass all you have to do is take the next step of course you will have to do some things to find out what the next step is you'll have to spend time in the word time praying in the spirit time listening for and expecting time listening for and expecting to hear his direction but don't expect him to give you 10 steps at one time he really does he just tells you what you can do today The secret is to be trusting and simple. To come as a little child before the Lord and hear from him every day. Don't try to figure out all the things you need to do, how you need to do them. Listen day by day. Take one step at a time. You'll come to the place where God wants you to be. You will finish your race. In the meantime, don't be weighed down with the need to get everything done right now. Don't struggle along trying to hurry up the process. Learn to obey and day by day, let God get it done on his schedule. I love that because it was be trusting be simple listen to God do what he says don't freak out when it didn't come to pass like you think it was supposed to God's got all that part worked out I would like to think we're big enough to plan more ahead but when it really comes down to it we need to be day by day listeners we need to work on that because we have a way of saying well that's where we're going so now I'm going to figure out how to get there and what you did is you got a spiritual insight into where you're supposed to go but then try to work it out in a natural process it doesn't work you can't use the two like that. You have to do it. If God says do it, do it God's way. Don't just do what He says, do it the way He said to do it. Ask Him how it is and how to get there and how to accomplish that. You've got to do all of that. That's the part on you that requires the communication because you have to ask God for that. He's a gentleman. There are times He intervenes in miraculous things, and we praise God for them, but most of the time it's because He had to, because He had to save that person's life or He had to transform their situation. The only way He'd get to it is by making Himself, bam, apparent not his preferred way. And the only reason I say that is because all the men and women of God that I respect that I've listened to over all these years say that God's preferred thing to do is speak in a still small voice. He likes to have a close relationship with his children so where he can come and say, let's talk about this. Where he, he's down there inside and you don't have to work real hard to hear him because you practice so often hearing the voice of God that you know it. Sheep know the shepherd's voice. Praise God. Trusting and simple. Let's not make it harder than it is. The world's hard enough. There's enough challenges going on. There's enough challenges going on. So let's not make this any harder than it has to be. Because the devil's going to do his best to do that to you. To cloud your mind. If nothing else, if he can't get to your spirit, he's going to do everything he can to cloud your mind or make you so busy that you're not actually doing. We think busy is good. Busy is not always good. Busy is good if the busy that you're doing is God called busy. But if it's good called busy, not God called busy, it's bad busy. Yes. <laughs> it's deep, right? Praise the Lord. Let's look at Mark 6. Let's show you a couple examples. I don't think I'm able to get through, and I don't need to, because I know that God has gotten these words. So we'll, maybe i get another chance to speak to you, or we'll... Uh, We'll get to some of this stuff. But God is, di- is directing, which is good. Mark 6. Let's, let's just talk about a couple examples of something really cool. I saw this a few months ago. I mean, I've read this before. I mean, this, all my passages today are good ones to go back and see. And I hope you've seen them a hundred times. Look at them a thousand more. Man, they, uh, only this book can regenerate. Other books get old. You get tired. You get bored of reading them. Or the research goes bad It gets out of time Things are renewed And all of a sudden it's, it's an old edition Man this thing regenerates itself It's even better than An instant download on an iPhone This thing that, that, that renews, It renews itself It is so cool How it does that Mark 6 Yeah First one Jesus went out from there And came into his hometown And his disciples followed him when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. That was, well, that, that's where they went wrong right there. They saw something natural and said, we know this guy. And they took offense right there. They lost everything. They lost their chance that day to have their life absolutely transformed, to take them out of a 30-year-old sickness, bring prosperity in their life. I mean, guys, they had Jesus walking, preaching to them that morning. Jesus, maybe you've heard of him. And they were like, man, we saw this guy grow up. And they shut down. They took Man, I wasn't going to talk about that, but it's just like, you're almost like, oh, you feel it down inside. You're like, oh, man, that was a bad decision. So, verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle. He could do, not he wouldn't do, he couldn't do any miracle there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6, and he wondered at their unbelief. Jesus, other translations, I believe is the KJV that says he marveled at their unbelief. Jesus marveled. All right, let's look at Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. Centurion servant, another good one. This is just a contrasting example. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, I'll just read through it real quick. We know the story. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people he went to Capernaum, and the centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. It was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent for him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, hmm, I recognize that word. He marveled at him. And turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. He didn't say, I didn't find such great faith. Jesus went, whoa. Not even in all of Israel have I ever seen such great faith. Did you know Jesus could be astonished by things? That's what marveled means. It means to be astonished, to be taken aback, to be in awe. Do you know Jesus could be astonished by things? So here we have two scenarios familiar to you, where you see an example of great faith, another example of great unbelief. That astonished Jesus. He was surprised by. It. And we see the reactions: one, the great unbelief, locked his arms down; he was imprisoned by their chains of offense and could not reach them. And the other, he did not even have to physically interact with the man in Luke seven, because that man jerked the, jerked the faith out of him, pulled it to his house. So Jesus, though he was the source of power, was controlled. By the faith in those situations. Faith in the, you can't do this. And faith in the, you can do this. Do you see the power that the individuals had on him? That he was bound and released by their reaction to him. The faith made that happen. I just think it's pretty cool. I would like to be a person that Jesus could say, whoa, your faith just impressed me. But let's not be the people that he has to say, man, your faith... Your fear just impressed me. And I'm not going to be able to reach you because you just slammed all the doors in my face. Let's not be those people. Let's believe what we know. Man, it's just... I just remember the first time I saw the word, that marvel just caught me. I'm like... Because, you know, it's just like it's Jesus. I mean, He knows everything. He talks to the Father. I mean, this is Jesus. It's God. Son of God. His reaction to those scenarios. And how the outside circumstances influence that based on what they were receiving or not receiving. Because you have to understand that fear in your life is negative faith. It is that simple. The world is pretty parallel. There's usually a pretty, there are some gray areas, certainly. When I, get, I mean, yes, I mean, in life there are a lot of gray areas. But when it comes to spiritual things, there's a, there's a white and there's a black. There's a true and a not true. There's a lot of defining lines that make things a little bit easier. So there's faith and there's fear. They both work and have power in them. You give them power. You give them power. With your words. With your belief system. So fear can be exercised just like faith can. And it can bring the results and the absolutely negative aspect of anything that faith can bring. Fear can destroy. Fear can corrupt. Fear can destroy your mind. It can bring psychiatric illness into your head over time. Emotions can bring life. They can bring death. They have a powerful place in your life. We talk about being emotional, and it it certainly has its place. But they do have a profound impact on your well-being. As a physical person. Because your mind can kill you. Or it can heal you. And it's not the mind doing that. But it's the mind that talks to this. That gets the words coming out. Because you say what you believe out of the abundance of the heart speaks. That the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so what's in here gets out of here. And then it gets down in here. Corrupts it. Destroys it. Whereas on the flip side. You put faith in here. Faith comes over here in the word of God. It comes up to here. Goes out here. And sometimes... When we're in between, this talks and gets it here and here. Usually it goes here, and then it teaches this. But the only way it can keep teaching this mind, this part, is by staying with it. If you were going to run a marathon, if you were going to run a marathon, and you were actually, just say, we're not even talking about like trying to set some kind of record. We're talking about just finishing. A marathon is 26.2 miles. It's a long way. So just you'd say, I want to finish a marathon. If you have any sense about you, You're gonna start training a few months out. And if you haven't run at all, because you can train for a marathon, not be running at all, and get up 26.2 miles. The body's an amazing thing. It will get in line. You have to kick it, tell it, push it, scream at it, but it will get there. And some people it's longer than others. It just depends on what kind of shape they're in. But if you're gonna run a marathon and you're training for it and you have a few months, and you haven't run at all, and you say, I'm gonna go out in the morning, I'm gonna run five miles. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run. Five, we're going to start. Five, we're going to work our way up. You go out there. You might get about three quarters. And you're doing that. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I can do all things. through Christ's Well, what's the problem? Yes, you can. And it'll help you through that. Sure. But your natural body is not in line with what your head or your mouth are saying. Because they're just not there yet. But guess what? The body is the weakest part of you. And it will do what you tell it to do. And you keep talking to it and says, I don't care how you feel. I don't care how much this hurts. This is something I'm doing. I've decided I'm going to accomplish this. So you get in line. Right. And you'll be amazed at how quickly you just put God on it. I mean, I don't know where this came from. You put God on that. God will help you get all that in shape if that's something that, that you want to do. I'm not talking about running the I'm just talking getting get in shape in general. Put your mouth on it. And then go active. You'll get your body in line. The body and things will become easier. But in the natural sense, it's just your mind, the willpower, which is something that is spiritual, but the people use all the time that aren't spiritual. Even the mind itself has a power of the body to get it in place. anyway the point is you're not going to go out and be able to run that five miles and if you do you're going to be hurting okay but you keep running before you know it that person that was barely getting a mile is going to cross that finish line at their marathon whatever city they go run in because they kept working they kept working they kept working but it was was actually incremental 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 we want everything at once that's not the way it works it'd be great if it does and God's good enough that at certain times we need something, He does spiritually download stuff into us. Some of these revelations you hear people preach about their whole life, they had in, with one encounter with God where He spiritually downloaded something into them that their spirit got, and they spent the rest of their life bringing it into their mind so they could teach it to people. And it was their whole life calling. It. And when it really comes down to it, you're great men and women of faith, especially in our generation where this is the platform we use to minister the Word, you can really kind of lock a subject into each one of them. When it really comes down to it, I mean, everybody preaches about a lot of things. But those people had a calling from God to preach something. And when it comes down to what they preach, there's a word that becomes synonymous with them. When I think Kenneth Hagin, I think faith. When I think Oral Roberts, I think of healing. There are a lot of other things. he He's a great man of faith. I think of seed, time, and harvest. But I think of healing. When I think of my dad, the things he preaches, the thing that comes out to my mind is I think of no more curse. And I think of the covering, which he's really preached on, and the mammon system, which is real tightly connected. When I think of Brother Copeland. I think of the blessing, the thing he's preaching on. I think of the blessing of the Lord. So I believe that God has using him to administrate in the earth for us to understand. And, yeah, that's, you guys, if you haven't read any of that, he's got an awesome book, The Blessing of the Lord. Read it. Read it. It will reformat the way that you think about these things. It's a great book. Um, I'm not making endorsements. I don't get paid for that. It just, it was really good to me, so. Um, pick up those old books. Go read The Authority of the Believer again. Go read Kenneth Hagin's How to Be Led by the Spirit of God. If you don't have them, Get them off Amazon. They're not expensive. Borrow them. I bet somebody in here has them. Read them. They're full of the Word. Always use your Bible, but they're so full of the Word that it's not one of those where you're reading a bunch of opinion, because most of them were sermons that were scripted in, or if they're written, there's so much Scripture in there that you're reading the Word and then getting their thoughts, their reflections, their revelation off of it. Know what you need to be putting into your system. The Word of God, number one, always. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then where you need to know a little about something, find somebody that does it well. That's what you do in the natural I wanna be trained as a surgeon, I'm not gonna to go to a place that's training people how to do pediatrics. I'm gonna to go to a program that's training me how to do surgery, and I'm gonna to try to find one that is good, that is, has, has, a, has a good reputation, has people that I like to work with, people that are good people that know what they're doing but are also smart and do what they do well. That's how we'd handle anything. We're gonna get a job, you know, we're gonna go find somebody that does what, that job well and either apprentice under them, right? Sure, that's how everything's natural spiritual things there's something you're wanting to learn from god find somebody that does it well read what they had to say about it put that through the filter of the word don't take anything that a man says without filtering through the word of god that's what it was about brother he was always like he told jesus to Jesus face now you know i'm a word man you got to show me some scriptures to back this up i love that guy i don't that's just like whoa (laughs) is something else so he wanted to make sure he wasn't seeing some kind of specter because of some bad pizza, I guess, or something. I don't know. No, he knew Jesus was, that was Jesus, of course. That was Jesus' appearance to him. But he did say, from, I read, he did say that to him on one occasion. Um, praise God for it. Oh, he's good. Awesome. Hallelujah. But you have to understand that faith in your life begins at where the will of God is known. So you need to know God's will. Before you can exercise your faith. Because you can exercise your faith all day long against something. But the couple has to work together. You've got to have the word of God on something. To tie your faith to. Because just some magic confession is not going to work. You've got to have scriptures. You have to have word. They used to see. I know, as I'm growing this, it's the same thing. But the people that do it well, man, they write this stuff down. They have scriptures. And they have all these things that find It's a lot of work in that sense. Take the time to look at what you're believing for. And now with the way of technology, it's so easy to reference and find scriptures on a topic. Pull out some good ones. Get a dozen. Get 20. Get something you can write down and confess. Before you know it, you won't have to read them anymore. You'll be confessing them. But put them before your eyes. Put what you want on the top. Put those scriptures down. Sign it at the bottom saying, In the name of Jesus, this is done. And exercise your faith. Go to the gym in the morning. It'll take like five minutes. I'm saying go to the spiritual gym. Pull that thing out. Keep it in your back pocket. Stick it in your truck. Whatever. Put it on notes in your phone. Whatever you do. And read it on a daily basis. And it'll teach you how to believe it. And you'll be amazed at how quickly it comes to pass. It's a spiritual principle that God works. He doesn't respect anybody over and This is for everyone to do. The people that seem to have great success applied the word of God the right way and kept doing it. They They didn't have. It wasn't that some kind of different kind of spiritual relationship. It grew greatly, but because they started with the seed. Every man has a measure of faith. You take that measure, build it up. You've all got muscles. You go to the gym, work them out. They get bigger. They get stronger. Faith is a muscle. Faith is the most powerful muscle you have. It's a spiritual muscle that you work out, that you exercise. And the only way it grows is you hear the word of God, and then you put it into practice. But the faith isn't going to work if it's not coupled with the will of God. So you just get the will of God on something, which is going to come, and it will be connected to the word. It may come through a prophecy. It may come through uh, some special meeting you go to where God uses the message to speak to you, but it's connect, connected to the word of God. Find the word of God in there, the scripture to connect it to, something to back it with, so that when you release your faith, You're putting it through the word in its principle and you you enact it. You take that thing and make it active. It's a form that works. Enzymes in the body work the same way. You've got all these enzymes that help things get done in your body, help chemical reactions happen. But a lot of times these enzymes are locked up and they have to be activated on by an outside force to expose their connecting points, to connect with whatever they're going to do to make it happen in the body. It's not so different with faith. You connect it with the word of God and it opens the channel. The channel, the gate is opened. So that what you're believing for can flow through. It's not hard. It's not hard. And it's not weird and foggy and complicated and abstract. And I can't touch it. It is a force that works like gravity. If you you can lock onto that, great. If that's something natural like gravity helps you get it, use that, take it. And understand that there's a measure of faith in you, whatever size it is that can be grown. Our measure of faith at this point between me or you or you and your neighbor may not be equal, but it started out equal. But the person is acting, exercising it. They're living life, exercising that the same way that they go to work and exercise at their job what the tasks they have to do for the day, building their minds. Same thing. So just think about that. Let it speak to you. So faith begins where the will of God is known. We'll wrap up here. And faith has to be based on the Word of God because your faith can never be greater than your knowledge of the word. You must have God's word for what you're believing for. And I didn't say that they came from, that came from some other sources that I greatly respect. It just really hit home with me, because what we're trying to do is have faith beyond the knowledge we have of the word of God, and you can't do it. You've got to put the re, the reserve in there, so your faith can act from it. So find the will of God on whatever it is. He'll show you. Then start acting your faith towards that. Because if you act the two and opposite, if you know what God's will, but you're just, about that just kind of believing for something just kind of thinking about something and saying it could be say you want a new car if you kind of just but if the way that you handle it is to say well i'm just believing god for a new car okay great what kind well i don't you know it's just something new something nice there's no specificity tied to it you're not really believing for it because things you care about you actually look into so a better way is to say you know what i want this kind of car we're just taking cars example it could be anything this could be a bill it's coming whatever we'll just take the car because it's a good example Something we change hands a lot with during life, and say, "I believe God it's your will that I'm supposed to have a new car." And I believe because you love me as a covenant servant, you care about my needs of transportation, my family's needs, and something not rinky-dink, broke-down car. I'm having fixed on time something new because you care about your children being blessed, and you believe for it. But you've got to become, what is it I'm looking for? What type of vehicle? What size is it going to be? What type of vehicle? How many people is it going to carry? What am I going to use it for? And finding that, so you lock on the vehicle. Then finding out, well, how much does it actually cost? And actually begin to. Put this stuff into something tangible that you can wrap your faith around. It's a house you're believing for. You find a place to say, okay, we pray, we seek God. God directs you. Go and you find this house too. I believe that this is the house. You put your faith on it, but you find out where it is, who is going to be selling it, what realty house. You talk to the realtors. You have to actually do things. You don't just sit around and make confessions. That's where you start. You build your faith and allow that to be the foundation. And then you listen for the word of God and you move toward that thing. You don't have to have all the pieces, but you've got to take the first step. You've got to take the first step. You've got to take the first step. It will work for you. Yes, it, Amen. it does work. It is real. It is. So you can live your whole life kind of believing it and nothing really happening. And watch other people. It happens for you because you're still trying to decide. Just believe it. Accept it. It's real. It happens. It'll work. It does. Amen. And let God teach you how to do it. But it's that simple. Word of God. With faith. Couple those together. Praise the Lord a good man. Good, 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 good. Hallelujah. Let's see. I have a lot to share with you guys and I'm not going to, it's time to shut her down. I want to share something with you about words. This scripture, yeah. Proverbs 10 When do you guys usually shut her down? We're good? I wanna. Okay. I don't want I don't want to hold you guys too long. I respect your time greatly. Yeah, I do want to share a couple of these scriptures with you they could go on all of a sudden, there's there's ways going to it. But I thank God your foundation. A lot of this you know. So some of it if I just refer it to and have you look at it again, just something right down and go, you guys do the diligence and, and look at it yourself. But let's look at Proverbs ten. I want you to see the scripture with your eyes. With your eyeballs. See that it's there in the Word. Proverbs chapter ten, verse nineteen. Anybody read the scripture before? Did you? Praise God. Where there are many words, we've been talking about words, where there, this is New American Standard, I'm reading where there are many words, transgression is, what does it say? Unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is his choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Verse 22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Praise God. And there's our, There's a text for the blessing of the Lord. Praise God. But let's go back to verse 19. I want you to see that with your eyes. Read it again. Read the scripture again. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. What that means is if you do a lot of talking, you are going to put your foot in your mouth. You're going to say wrong things and do wrong things. It it says it is going to happen. It's not could happen, might happen. It says it's unavoidable. But he restrains his lips is wise. And that fits in with what we're talking about. Because we need to ask the Lord to teach us how to talk. What we say. Ask God to put a guard in your mouth. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That Which is for edification. We need God's help to do that. And we don't need to go... And We got all of James 3 to back all that up. Right? And you guys, if you haven't looked at James 3 in a while... I'm not going to take you all through it because I want to respect your time. But James 3... We know that whole chapter is about the tongue. How it picks up and destroys, how it can bridle the whole body. If a man can bridle his tongue, he can control his whole body. And the same man is a perfect man, is what it says. If he can control that one little muscle in his mouth, the same is a perfect man. So that puts a lot of onus on, wow, can it really happen? But the important thing is to train yourself. To allow God to renew your mind and teach you how to talk. Because the words you're releasing on a daily basis... Our frame in your life. They're framing things that happen. They're bringing that job to you. They're bringing sickness or disease into your family because you're constantly talking about how you feel sick all the time, how you're hurting. When you stop and actually listen to yourself, you're just voice record yourself through the day and go back and listen to all the offhand things you say because we just say them in society. It's just the things that we say, like, I'm sick of being something. You know, and when you look back, you think, man, our whole frame of how we communicate has been seasoned with all this curse talk in it. You know, And I've had to look at that in myself. Because, again, it was one of those things where I was like, well, you just believe it in here, and when it gets to here, but if you're just talking, it's not a big deal. No, it is. Because when you go back to the beginning, the first book of the Bible tells us how he put everything together. The Word tells us he framed the the worlds with the Word of God. So, obviously, words are important to God. And everything that we believe about this book came from his words. So, words are a big, 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 big deal with him. So, how could we think that we're outside that system? We can say whatever we want. And to wonder why things are whatever they are. So teach God how to, I mean, ask God to teach you how to speak and to train your tongue. And that comes by noon. Your mind in the Word. James three is a book you just go back and read it again. But that's the thing: is the man that can bridle right his tongue can control his whole body the same as a perfect man? So we need to learn how to restrain our lips. You don't spit out everything that you're thinking. You don't say everything that comes across your mind. Even if you think you're helping somebody out, you're not always helping someone out. Or if you are, maybe it's too early. There's times when they're not in the same place. And maybe they do need that word, but you know what? They're not quite there yet. And you have to have the sensitivity to know when to spit out what's in your mouth and when to keep it in. There's times to talk and times to be quiet. And just because I have, you know, I have a bunch of revelations from God doesn't mean I spit out everything I know just because I'm standing here. Because I want you to think, oh, well, well he's, you know, he's got this or I learned that from him or he's a good speaker or whatever. No, you say what you feel like God is teaching you to say. To people, and you don't worry about the other. It's okay to get quiet for a while. And sometimes it's almost like we have to, we almost might have to re- reboot the system and just kind of purge ourselves. Just, you know, just separate a little bit and just say, I've got to learn how to stop saying the things that I'm saying. Because when you start listening, it's like, oh man, that blew me away or that whatever, you know. And I know those are really, I've listened to people say that and I thought, man, that is so picky. But the more that I look in the Word, I understand. That it's okay to be a little bit hypersensitive about it because the important thing is is we put our foot in our mouth all the time we're cursing people all the time i don't mean physical curse words i mean what we're saying to people how we're talking we're not meaning to but we're enacting the curse in their life by speaking to them and people have any kind of filter we're like N- you know those spirits no i'm not you know it's like, i'm taking that you know just the, the simple thing the thing that's really got me it's hard for me is take care take care, take care. Yeah. and you know that was one of those that I just thought, i mean really I'm, I'm just being totally honest i'm like that's a nice term. I say to people, when they're, especially when they're leaving our house to come to visit, it's like, take care. I felt, because I feel very endearing when I say that to them, because I care about them, you know. Take care. And, you know, even that in itself, just, just think, I'm just saying, just think about it. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what words to say. I have no right to do that. I mean, God cares so much about men's free will that he died to bring it back. So anything that the Canadian system would slap on you, that would restrict you, stand up against. Because God himself, the creator of humanity, gave us the free will to choose destruction. Man, that's a big deal. He cared so much about free will that he said, I love you so much that I I love you so much that I give you the free will. And as much as it hurts me, and I've gone across the universe to fix it, you can burn by your own choice. He does he does not want that. But he cares that much about your free will. It's a big deal to it. So, you have that free will. So, I'm not telling you what words to say, but I'm saying, take account of how you do speak about your situation in your life. Just think about it. And that was something God was dealing with about with me. just a word, because I'm taking the care. It's like because it's you're taking the care upon you, the stress, the worry, the anxiety. When the Bible teaches us to rest. So, I'm not talking about magic words. I'm talking about the whole way that we see and think about things. So, just take an account, and think about it. Is what I'm saying. I'm not trying to correct words, tell you what to do, by any means. That's for you between you and God and what he deals with you with. Because, yeah. again, for some phrases, for some people, you know, in all honesty, that's kind of a God thing. I mean, between you and God, he'll correct you on what you need to. I'm just saying think about it. Analyze. Look at it. Look at these scriptures and let them speak to you. But think about transgression being unavoidable when you talk a lot. And know that it's going to happen. So do everything you can to restrain your lips and speak wisdom. If you can't speak wisdom in life to situation, pray that God will help you stop words before they come out. He'll do it. But you kind of just have to ask it. He'll do it. Little things like that. I came across a, a good, good quote from Winston Churchill that I hadn't seen before. Um, yeah, here's some. Yeah. He said, to improve, change. To be perfect, change often. And I think, you know, there's some truth in that. Because we're constantly, if we're not dynamically changing on a day-to-day basis, then we're not doing our job in the Word. We ought to be being shaped by it. And that is an active process, sometimes a painful process. Absolutely. Because when pressure is applied, I mean, in a natural sense, when pressure is applied to something, a force to create something with a heavy metal to purify it with gold burning in the fire, whatever it is, there's a strenuous part, whether it be something lit on fire or intense pressure pushed against it to smooth something out, that cannot be a comfortable process. But it's producing the end result of something beautiful that it's supposed to be. So in our life, we'll hit points of extreme pressure and it feels like the world is caving in on you. And that's the point right there where God is molding you into. He is literally shaping your person into what he's trying to make you. But you understand, in the shaping, there's a moving and a shaking. There's a pressure applied. There's a force coming together that you feel. It's like, man, this is, it may feel intense. It may feel like, what is happening? But if you will press forward with God, he will mold you into what you're supposed to be. But understand, those points of pressure don't mean something bad is happening. A lot of times it means the positive change is happening. And we need to understand that. It's not something that you have to rebuke sometimes. It's more of something saying, we're almost there. Because what's really arguing is your flesh. Your flesh is really saying, this is not comfortable. You have total power everybody, to say, I don't care what you say. You're the weakest part of me. You bow to what I say. To what I tell you to do. Tell it to do it. It will do it. Sometimes it takes a little telling, a little pressure, but it will bow. Because it does what you tell it to do. Everything that you are is because of what the energy you've expended the words you've expended the things that you've done to get you where you are today hallelujah thank you Jesus it's a precious precious thing man I don't want to get to that I do not hold you guys anymore okay one more scripture Hebrews 3 I'm watching I got a clock up here guys I'm, I'm watching I'm sorry Hebrews chapter three. Can you guys put the King James versions uh, of Hebrews three up for me? Thanks. Hebrews three one. First verse. Therefore, holy brethren, I'm reading now the New American Standard, but I want you guys to see the uh, King James. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Verse 2. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. Can you go back to verse 1? Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, considering the apostle and high priest of our profession. Christ Jesus. Verse 2, please. Who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Can you go back to verse 1? I want to see this word again. Verse 1. Profession. That word means a few different things. It's interesting that scripture takes place in there because it says that he is the high priest of our profession. When you ask me what I do, I'm just as a natural man, say, what do you do? What's your profession? You say, I am. Well, for me, I'll say, well, right now, I usually tell people, well, I'm a medical student. I've been trained as a doctor. That's my profession. When you really connect it back to here, our profession of faith, the word profession is a very interesting word. And it's amazing how all this stuff ties together. Let's just do... Let me do a couple definitions of the word profession. There's a number of them. The act of professing a vow, a declaration, whether true or false. The declaration of belief in or acceptance of religion or faith. A religion or faith prof- professed. The declaration made on entering into membership of like a church or a religious order. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says a calling... Requiring specialized knowledge and often long and intensive academic preparation. A princip- the, this, the next one is a principal calling, vocation, or employment. The whole body of persons engaged in a calling. So, a profession of faith is something we speak, right? We profess, but we also call what we do a profession. The word means the same thing. And that's the natural human term that everybody uses what's your profession? you're saying I am I'm professing I am a lawyer I am a teacher I am a doctor I am a pastor I am a you're saying with your mouth what you are you're professing that out and it's so interesting that when you actually look in dictionary definitions of a word like profession which pops up in an interesting scripture like this that you see referred to as a calling and you look at the word calling same dictionary and it's a strong this is what uh, this is what a normal dictionary says a calling is a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. Wow. That's in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster. It's a powerful thing. So what I'm telling you, as we see in the Scripture, that we're partakers of a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, our profession to say the same thing. So we are speaking out our calling on a daily basis when we say to people what we are. That calling is creating a confession that creates a profession of faith that becomes a natural thing that you do. So you're professing something out, speaking to it that creates what it's saying happening in your life. We see it right there in the word, and you can look. It's awesome when you can take something like just a normal, natural, like, dictionary text and see the the very definition. They can't say it without putting the divine influence in there, without having calling. Because you take the same dictionary, you use one word to explain the other, and you look at that word, and it was a strong inclination toward a divine influence. So what you say is what you are. Simple as that. Simple as that.